Hebrews chapter 2, verses 5 through 18. Now, it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere. What is man that you are mindful of him or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now, in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing out of his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those through who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it was not the angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being Tempted. May God add his blessing to the reading and the hearing of his word. And remember, last week, I asked the question at the beginning, how does somebody become king? How does someone become king? Do, uh, and, and, and I wanted you to think about the way the world tells us that someone becomes king. You've got Genghis Khan becoming king because he conquers and kills everybody. You've got Alexander the Great becoming king because he marshals generals and armies around him, and they conquer lands. You've got uh, King Arthur becoming king because he finds a magical sword of power and destroys and vanquishes his enemies. How does Jesus become king? How is Jesus crowned with glory and honor? The opposite. He is crowned with glory and honor and becomes king because he becomes the lowest. He becomes man and then suffers. And the text tells us he became like us. He became man. There's a couple key things to understand here that are thematic that we see in the language. 
the first one being the word that is used for world. The word oikomenoi. I'm butcher the Greek. Oikomenoi. It's from the Greek word oikos, which means uh, community. We translate it often household. We translate it household because at that time period, the way that household works is you had a common fire pit, a common wash area in the middle of a group of apartment-like houses, and everybody shared that common area, and this layout of housing was called an oikos, a community. So your neighbors were part of your household, your oikos. And the word that he uses here when he says, subjected the world to come, the word he uses is not cosmos, it's not the word for world we would expect, it's the word oikos, community, the community, the the people to come. The emphasis here is that this is populated. This earth to come is populated. And he, then he goes on and says, we don't see it this way yet. We don't see everything this way yet. Though Jesus is Lord and he is king over all things, he is on the throne, he is glorious above all. We don't see it yet. The world still looks like it's in chaos still looks like things are going wrong all the time. We don't see this yet. And yet, he became man. So, here we have this psalm in verses 6 through 8 that he quotes. And it's a psalm that should immediately launch us back to creation. We should immediately be thinking of creation in this psalm. That he makes man in his own image to spread out over the earth and... He makes them a little lower than the angels for a time. It should immediately drive us back to the, to the creation narrative. And the reason it should do that is because that's exactly what it did to the Jewish readers who read it. This psalm is quoted often by Jewish people, has been quoted for centuries by Jewish people to refer to Adam. And the author here quotes this psalm and everybody goes, Oh yeah, creation, God created us in the image, but we fell. And then he quotes it and he applies it to Jesus. Jesus didn't fall. He became man. He faced temptation. He stood against the adversary and he crushed his head. The seed of the woman will crush the head of the snake. Genesis 3.15 So when the author of Hebrews begins to apply this to Jesus, what it ought to do inside us is make us go, yes! Victory! He crushed the head of the snake, and then it also ought to make us go, what? God Almighty, chapter 1, Jesus is God, therefore He's better than the angels, Chapter 1, Jesus is creator, or he's better than the angels. Chapter 1, Jesus is worthy of worship, therefore he's better than the angels. God Almighty, the one whom we're supposed to fix our eyes on and stay straight on and keep watching, you mean he comes down to me? Wow. Now, with that in mind, let's approach... These next two, I told you that this passage is divided into three propositions here. 
one is in verse 8b through 9. The second one is in verse 10 through 13. And the, the third one is in verse 14 through the end. And today we're going to look in and zero in on the second and third one. So go with me there, verse 10. For it was fitting that he, for whom and all, and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. So let's look at the first thing here. This is Creator God becomes creation to make a way for us. Look at this. Let's take out the parenthetical statement and read it straight through. It says, For it was fitting that He should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. The word perfect here is the word complete or finished. The idea that that this is a completed action. So he says, God, it's right that God should make Jesus perfect through suffering. Complete through suffering. Now, Jesus, remember what he is making perfect. Jesus is validating his own character. He is validating who he is by being on the earth. So how does God validate that Jesus is king and savior? He does it by Jesus suffering. So he shows the glory of God by Jesus suffering. Just think about that for a minute. You have a a world full of people who have spit in your face and rebelled against you. And you want to show them, I am God and you are not. What would you do? You have a world full of people. I'm going to ask it again. You have a world full of people who have spit in your face and said, you're not God. I make my own way. And they're shaking their fist in your face. And you're God. And you made them. And you created everything. Oh yeah, and they're breathing because you're kind. And that's it. And what would you do? But yeah, I mean, I, I don't know, pour lava on everything? <laughs> Isolate them to their room, right? That's what my kid argues back with me. Go to your room. No. Pick them up, put them in the room, right? Like, there's not a, there's not a, a middle ground here. I'm not gentle when you come to rebel against me. What does God do to show you His glory and grace? He becomes a baby and then becomes a man and suffers and then dies. What? I shake my fist in His face And he says, I'll take your punishment. I'll I'll take the blame. I'll bear your sin. I'll bear your anger. I'll bear the weight of your depression. I'll bear your hatred towards me. I will bear it all on myself. And I will suffer in your place. (laughs) God decides to reveal himself by suffering 
by Jesus' suffering. Yeah. It was fitting. It was right that he would do this. Let's look at the two things that describe God here. For whom and by whom all things exist. So for whom, the one for whom and by whom all things exist. That means you exist for him. You belong to him. You're his possession. You are for his glory. You're for his name. You are, you are his. You are specifically created that he would be made known. For whom all things exist. And by whom all things exist. Not only are you his, but you're not his as in somebody else made you or you made yourself and then were given to him as a gift. You're his as in he made you. You exist only because he's gracious. You breathe because he's nice. That breath you just took in and exhaled, that was him. Being nice, being kind, being gracious, being merciful. That was him. And it was fitting that Jesus would suffer. Then the second thing that he says about God here is that God is bringing many sons to glory. So it was right that Jesus should suffer because this God is bringing many sons to glory through that suffering. So what shows the glory of God and the kingship of Jesus Christ? You and your salvation. In bringing many sons to glory, God makes himself known. Salvation makes God known. That makes his heart known, makes him known. That's what reveals who he is. So, here God is bringing many sons to glory, and it's fitting that he would take the founder of our faith, the founder, the word here for founder, by the way, um, says it, it, it's the word for trailblazer, or the one who leads a path. Right, So this is one who starts a, uh, a path or a pioneer. Meaning, he sets the path for many who come behind him. This is what Paul gets at in 1 Corinthians when he says, Imitate me as I imitate Christ. We are to be following along that path. Remember, at the beginning of chapter 2, he says, Pay attention. Keep yourself on the track. Pay attention to the gospel. Keep on the path. The warning that follows is keep on the path lest you go astray or lest you drift off. The warning is to stay on the path. Jesus is the path. And the path to what? The path to God. God. You want to know life? You have an opportunity to know the author of it. God is ever present before you in Jesus Christ and He has laid the path 
for you to go back to life. I hope that this resonates in somebody's head in here as Genesis 3. There was an angel who guarded the path to the way to the tree of life. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. You want life? You know Jesus. How wonderful. How marvelous. How wonderful. He's made perfect in revelation to God, of God. He shows us who God is. Jesus becomes man. Look at verse 8, I mean 11 with us. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers. Now, the translation here is a little, a little rough. It's he who sanctifies and the ones who are sanctified all are one. All are one. And the author of Hebrews begins to draw us into this familial picture with God. That, that we belong to the family of God. That we are one together because he who sanctifies Jesus Christ, he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified, us, are of one. One. So we, we have to fill in a word there in English. Either one family, one source, one God, one meaning, one essence. We have to fill in a word, because there's no word there. And what the author of Hebrews is getting at is we are united in community, oikos, with Jesus. He's drawing your mind back to this picture of that which was once fragmented is now healed and jammed together. You are united in one oikos because Jesus has made the atonement for you, and has blazed the trail. He has set the path to the way of the tree of life. He, by the way, is the tree of life. I know the analogies get weird. He's the way, he's the tree, he's the guard, he's the angel. I get it, he's all of that. God gives life to those who trust in Jesus Christ. Life in Christ. We, because we are of one source, or because we are one with Him, Jesus then calls us brothers. Now, before Christ, you are slaves to sin. There's no hope, there's no aim, there's no joy, there's no rest, there's no freedom from it. You are enslaved to sin. You are called slave, you will be slave. You are called sons of disobedience. What we read earlier in the service from Ephesians chapter 2, you were formerly enslaved to sin. What we're going to see in the next proposition is that Christ destroys that slavery. Breaks that chain. Sets us free that we would walk with Him, that we would know Him, that we would be able to be righteous. A non-believer cannot be righteous. One who is not trusted in Christ Jesus cannot be righteous. Now, I don't mean they can't do a good thing once in a while. That's not what I mean. I don't mean that they can't 
be charitable or even more kind than Christians. Happens all the time. Good grief, it happens all the time. Christianity is marked by a bunch of flawed people, which is both to our benefit and to our disgrace. It's to our benefit because when people go, well, there are hypocrites in the church, you can go, well, you'll fit right in. Come on. It's to our negative because people go, well, there are hypocrites in the church, and we have to go, yeah, yeah, but a great God. Great God. We have to admit we're not good enough. But praise the Lord we're not good enough. You see the difficulty here. Because if we said we were good enough, then there'd be no point. Because we're not good enough, and Christ is good enough for us, we get salvation. So Jesus here becomes man, sanctifies us, which means makes us holy because we all have one source, that is God, gospel. We're all in one community. We're all drawn into the personhood, the kingdom of God, the God's own self. We love God because he's God. We don't love God because of the stuff he does for us. We don't love God because he's, he gives us things. We don't love God because it's fun. Those things might be true. We love God because he's God. And there's nothing else worthy. There's nothing else that compares. Why do you follow hard after Jesus? There's nothing else worth following. Why do you pursue the Lord? There's nothing else worth my pursuit. When I compare, you know, when I really think about it, when I sit back and compare, you know, I got 60, 70 years, 80 years, I don't know, on this earth, somewhere around there, if I'm lucky, maybe 100 years on this earth. I can pursue stuff here for 100 years. So, I can, I can focus on this Let's say this is a hundred years span. I can focus on this and for 65 years work my tail off to earn money and become famous and be great here. And like for what? 10 years of retirement, 15 years of retirement. When God tells me that there's a line that goes from here that way and never stops. And I've got this much time to get ready for that line. So am I going to focus on this part right here? Or am I going to focus on the line that goes forever? Love God because here's where we're with Him for eternity. And we've got this much time to prepare. Oh boy. I'm trying my best here to get ready for this. I'm trying my best here to get ready to join this community. Because indeed, He put me in this community here. I'm sanctified by Jesus Christ because I trust 
through Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Sanctified. He put me there. And I'm ready for that time. Now, we read on and he quotes some more here and he says, This is why Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers. So the result of this next proposition that we have one source and we join the community is that we are his brothers. We are family. We're brought into the oikos of God. I will tell you, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise. So those of you who uh, say you don't like to sing, tough. <laughs> Singing is evidently the exaltation of God's name. It is one of the methods of sharing the gospel. Sing. I don't care if you do it in public. I don't care if you do it at church. I don't care if you do it in private. Sing. There is something about making music to God that is unique and specially designed for you and me. Sing. Proclaim the gospel. I will tell you that there are times when I have been in public places and I will start singing a song and gospel conversations happen faster with me singing some song to myself and looking weird around a bunch of people in public than they have ever happened in any other time. I don't know if that's a message from God that you ought to be singing everywhere you go, and if you go to the line at the store and you're singing, How rich a treasure we possess, and the guy behind the counter is like, Yeah, yeah, five dollars. Give me that. I don't know if that's a sign for you that you should be doing that, but um, I will tell you, when I have been singing in public with my kids, gospel. Indeed, one time in the store, I'm walking, got my child in the cart. This is free, by the way, not in the notes. Um, I've got my child in the cart, and I'm walking, and there's a, a man who's obviously of Muslim descent. Obviously, his wife's got the full-on full thing, and he's there, he's got the turban on, um, and we're walking, and she's less than two. Walk over, and I need to get the juice, and he and his wife are standing away, so I'm waiting. My cart, looking at my cute kid, he's looking at me, and she zeroes in on them. <laughs> Hi! 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 Man turns around, Oh, such a sweet kid. Jesus loves me this I know. I need the grape juice. She kept going. For the Bible tells me so. Telling you. You sing. People will hear the gospel. If you don't sing, take a two-year-old with you. <laughs> verse 14. Actually, verse 13. And again, he quotes this psalmist saying, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. Jesus is both our founder and creator of our faith and the creator of us and the one who enlightens our soul, he is also the one who calls us along and makes us his and makes us what the Bible calls fellow heirs. 
fellow heirs. Now ponder that for a second. The King of Glory, Son of God, looks at rebellious creatures, us, who were supposed to follow in the image of God, and spit and shook our hands in his face, and he takes us, changes our hearts, regenerates our souls, makes us alive, and then says, you are mine. You belong to me. You know, if you haven't yet grasped Christ, keep trying to run. You're not going to get away. It's foolishness. You are trying to run from God. He will get you. You are His. You are His. So he goes on here and in verse 14, having established the proposition that we are fellow heirs with Christ, we are His, we are brothers in the kingdom, we have been invited into the family of God, since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, He Himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death He might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. So Jesus becomes man, partakes of our body, our skin, puts skin on, becomes a baby in a manger, born to a poor man, a working man, born in a cattle stall, becomes a child, grows through life, has to learn to walk, has to learn to talk, and at the same time that he is having to learn these things, he is holding the sun, moon, and stars in place. And he's walking this earth, and he lives a perfect life with no sin, no uh, rejection towards God, complete obedience and faith to God. He partakes of the same struggles and the same pains and the same stubbed toes and the same frustrating brothers and sisters and the same exhausting life that we have so much so that he at one point is walking with his disciples and he sends them into town to get sandwiches because he's hungry and tired. And he says, I'm going to sit down here. I'm tired woman comes to the well and he asks her for a drink and they get into this amazing conversation. Peter comes back and goes, I got some sandwiches. And Jesus goes, I have food that you don't know of. And Peter goes, he hiding sandwiches? That's not a man. He says, I have food that you don't know of. The food is to do my Father's will. Jesus was tired. He partook of the same things we do. He became... Man, think about that. Jesus willingly gave up heaven to walk the earth, to put on skin that he would crush. Said Isaiah says it was the will of God the Father to crush Jesus. 
his desire to crush him, that he would suffer for your sin. Jesus comes to earth, and in his death, he destroys death. That through death, he might destroy the one who has power of death, that is, the devil. Remember that first psalm that drove us back to Adam. What you ought to be thinking is the serpent, the adversary, the snake, the dragon in some, trans- in some translations. This, this is the enemy. Jesus' death on the cross destroyed the power of the devil. Destroyed it. Crushed his head. His death is sufficient to make you holy. His death is sufficient to make you holy, to rescue you. Christ's death on the cross and His resurrection gives you life. Your sin is dead and you are brought to new life. His death was sufficient for your salvation. He doesn't need to do more. He doesn't need to go further. His death on the cross was sufficient to save you, to rescue you from sin. Once for all. He dies once for all your sin. His death was sufficient. Consider what that means. That Christ has set you free from sin. You are no longer in bondage to sin. You have now been set free from sin and as Romans chapter 6 tells us, have become a slave to righteousness. You are no longer held in bondage to sin. You are now obedient from the heart to the precepts which you were taught. Romans 6. You were set free from sin and have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching which you were taught. That Jesus Christ is Savior and Lord. You are rescued. You are freed. Believe. Trust in Jesus Christ. You are saved. Verse 15. He delivers all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Of course, I'm no longer afraid of death when death on this earth means life for eternity. Right? No longer fearing death. I don't fear man. I don't fear anything. That is both true in my soul and difficult to display in my outward actions. If you want proof of that, just wait till I go on vacation in a couple weeks and I have to ride on a plane. Not that I'm afraid of death, I just don't want to die in a plane. Right? I'm not afraid of death, it means life for me. I'm not afraid of man, it means life for me. God has rescued me from the power of slavery to sin because I know that if I deny sin, I know that if I die to self, focus on pursuing Christ, then I am investing in this eternal relationship 
I am growing in eternity. I am becoming more like Him and indeed will find more delight and more joy and more peace. Because I'm free from those sins. They don't hold me. They don't bind me. I've been rescued. Verse 16. So if that is true, if that's what Jesus has done, He surely didn't do that for the angels, but He did that for the offspring of Abraham. Just uh, a review for you. If you uh, need to understand what He's referring to by the offspring of Abraham, please go back and read Romans chapter 4 through 5. Start in chapter 4, read through chapter 4 through 5. Really, read the whole book of Romans in one sitting, and that'd be great for you. But if you just want to look at the, the children of Abraham reference that he's making here, chapter 4 through 5 of Romans, good shot for you. So, he says he didn't come to help the angels, he came to help the children of Abraham, the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers. Jesus became a man in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest, delivering the body and the blood for your salvation in service to God to make propitiation or atoning sacrifice for the sins of the people. Jesus became man so he could make the sacrifice for you. Jesus became man so he could make the sacrifice for you, that you would be freed from sin and able to follow hard after him. Then verse 18. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. One of the greatest truths that I think I ever came across in my early Christian walk is the idea that God walks with me. That Jesus Christ in his death saves me from sin and his resurrection brings me to life. And then walks with me. He doesn't leave me alone. It's not like Jesus checks a box and goes, alright, peace, I'll check, on, check in on you in 30 years. That's not what happens. He says, you're mine, walk with me. And I start trying to follow. And occasionally I start drifting. And he goes, no, no, this way. And occasionally I start to push. And he goes, no, no, this way. You're mine. You're mine. Your mind this way. And He puts His Holy Spirit inside me. And I begin to walk with the Holy Spirit living inside me, ushering me towards salvation. Towards the kingdom of God. Freely, He walks with me. He leads me on paths everlasting. I am following hard after Him. Not because I have the strength to do it or because I'm amazing, but because Jesus Christ grabs me and He has the strength and he pulls me along with him. And he goes, come on, John. Come on, this way, John. This way, John. And I walk off, and I start doing this. And he goes, no, 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 no. Over here. Over here. Over here. And I go, all right, I'm back in the middle. I'm back in the middle. Got it. Back in the middle. Focus. No, 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 no. Back in the middle. Got it. Focus. Our Lord doesn't leave you alone. He doesn't leave you alone. He walks with you in perfect peace. And He keeps you. Oh, how beautiful it is that by grace the Savior, God Almighty, Jesus Christ, calls us brothers, brings us into the family, and then walks with us. And walks with us. And when you pray, He hears you. And He responds. That's insane, by the way. 
I mean, if that doesn't blow your mind, you're not thinking. Just consider the beauty of this truth, that Jesus Christ became man, God became man, and through his suffering was crowned with glory and honor, bringing many sons to glory, standing as our high priest before God, sacrificing his own life with his body and blood poured out for us. And we get to walk with Jesus Christ into glory.